When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It was the best of time. It was the worst of she wants the people's princess. To fight on the beaches. Oh, wait, Mum. These are the things that made England. To fight on the landing ground. These are the things that made I England. I have a body, but of a weak and feeble woman. These are the things that made England. And a king of England, too. These are the things that made England. Cry God for Harry! And these are the things that made England. England! And St. George! These are the things that made England. Before we start... Let me tell you about a great sponsor we've got at the moment called OnlineGreatBooks.com. This is your chance to learn about all the great works that change history and you can get a discount by going to OnlineGreatBooks.com forward slash ref forward slash ENG and enter the promotional code ENG to get a 25% discount off your first three months. But go and have a look at OnlineGreatBooks.com and see what it's all about. Hello then, everybody. We're welcome to the Things That Made England. I, my name is David Crowther from the History of England, and I'm joined by... Royfield Brown from 10 American Presidents, Mid-Atlantic, dum dum Friday 15. So look, Royfield, uh, this week is my week, mm. so I am going to introduce something which I think I ought to go into the cabinet, and you're going to push me around a bit. And then we'll decide at the end. So my contention is that English accents are one of the glories of England. They're one of the things that makes England what it is. They ought to go into the cabinet. Okay. Hmm. Why would I be proposing that? For me, the accents is all about the variety, uh, the diversity, although that's a horribly uh, popular word. And there's the rich tapestry of England's history and of our culture. The thing we know about England is that you know loads of people have come here and come to stay. And that's one of the triumphs of our culture and our history and our society. And it's been with us, that diversity has been with us forever. So there's a story about William Caxton. Do you know William Caxton? Oh, yeah, the printer bloke. The printer bloke, the first English printer, first British printer, in fact. Um, and he's trying to do some of his first books. And he's saying one of the problems is that all the words are different. So he a, here's a conversation between some merchants. One of them produces eggs, talks about eggs. And another one talks about iron. Completely different words for the same thing. So nobody knows how to spell anything. Nobody knows what the pronunciations, because people in some parts of the country couldn't even understand others. So I had a look on the internet. 
Bryce Fields. I thought that's what he did mm. from these programs. Extensive research Extensive was done. Extensive research with all the experts. Mm-hmm. I, no, I didn't have time for that, so I went on the internet. And there are various different articles between two and 700 dialects in England, depending on what you read. Wikipedia tells me there is an accent called Smoggy. Have you come across that? <laughs> no. Nor I, what is smoggy? And the, the entry was clearly written by somebody from Hartlepool. I actually can't remember why now. But anyway, smoggy, so there's one. So when I was a lad, Roy Field, mm. I used to have a job in a warehouse, summer job in a warehouse, in a place called Anstey, okay? Yeah. Anstey is five miles from Loughborough-ish, seven miles from Leicester-ish. Might be the way around, actually. And in Anstey, they took the mick out of the accents of the people from Loughborough and from Leicester. And they could demonstrate what the difference was. So there you've got a spread of 15 miles, and in that 15 miles, the accents were recognisably different between Loughborough, Anstey and Leicester. It is one of the amazing things about England that you can just go, as you said, you know, five miles and hear a complete and utter accent shift. For me, being a Brummie, going from Birmingham into what we call the black country was always just a marvel for me that how the, oh, the way that their accents just changed so fast. Oh, just and go and ask Rick Curry in, in I, Dudley. It's just when I first <laughs> went to the black country, so my uncle used to be a primary school teacher, right. and for about three years, from me between the ages of seven and ten, I'd have a week out of school where I would go with him and he'd go camping with his school in the black country. And yeah. I remember the first year hearing those accents, I just thought the kids were taking the mick. <laughs> it's well. a water. And, and they say, you am for you are. You <laughs> am going down the road. And I just, uh, I just, I seriously, it was my first real exposure yeah. to another English accent other than Cockney. Right. And I just couldn't, and it was five miles down the road, David. It's amazing, isn't it? See, that's, that's a fantastic thing. Uh, so you mentioned your Brummie. I found this survey of the relative mm. popularities of all different uh, I think I know where you're going with this. Uh, slightly irritatingly, this survey was, it seems to be a British Isles survey, so it's got Southern Irish and Welsh in it. And you won't be surprised mm. for them that Southern Irish and Welsh come right at the top. You know, which is slightly irritating as an Englishman, but there you go. They are both. I've got to say. Uh, so, okay, out of 12, uh-huh. one being popular, 12 being the least popular, where would you put Brummie? Well, okay. Now, That's I know. Just answer the question. I, I'm, I'm going to answer it yes, in a very well. correct manner. Right. <laughs> are you a politician? Not yet. I'm looking for right. a yes no answer. Okay, David. Pick, pick a number. Right, David. One to 12. Can, can I answer? You're asking me a question. Let me answer. Right. Quite simply, the accent yeah. it, that in the popular English consciousness yeah. that is assigned to Brummies is not a Brummie accent. Is that right? It's a black country accent. <laughs> so, well, you know, when you said, let me answer, what you actually yes. meant was, let me not answer. <laughs> I think okay if you could drag off you know the man of the Clapham omnibus and say give me a brummy accent if he could do one right. he's going to give you a black country accent you black country. you're probably right because black country accent is one of the crowning glories of England now look it came 12th I could just to give you the answer that you knew was but I am with you Royfield I am entirely with you the Brummie accent is a one of the crowning achievements of English culture. There you go. So it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's not I wouldn't go that far. I, just, I wouldn't go that far. Can I just say the East Midlands accent 
doesn't even appear on the list. Well, nobody. I tell you, I've always got the accent from Nottingham confused with with Yorkshire. If I'm being honest with you, soft Yorkshire. And when I get that mixed up, I say to myself, I'm not a total idiot because I know that it sits on the other side of the Dane law. So you have the Angles, the Saxons, the Danes, and the Jutes that um, these Germanic invaders that come over from Europe from about the 5th century to, I don't know, like the 8th century. Yeah. And um, they're supposed to have pushed out the Celtic-speaking Brits. Mm-hmm. Now, we know that really what they did was just intermarry, but they became the ruling class and they imposed their Germanic language on the Celts. Yeah. Then broadly, we have this 200-year period where Vikings then invade. Then after Alfred the Great, well, Alfred the Great has his settlement with these Viking invaders. Mm-hmm. And there is a thing called the Dane Law. And basically, Wessex, which is in the south, and uh, half of Mercia, really, let's, let's call it the West Midlands just for the sake of yeah. argument, are, are England and the other bits of what is England. So East Anglia, the East Midlands and the North of England are part of the Danish realm, the, the Dane law. And that mapping of the English accents is still writ large now. So then that makes sense to me that to my brummy ear, you sound like soft Yorkshire. So if you're from Nottingham, you don't sound like you're from you're definitely not from the West Midlands with, with that accent. But I can go to Stafford, which is just north, about five miles north of Wolverhampton, which definitely would have been on the Saxon side of the Dane law. And they have so many weird dialect words like nesh for cold, right. which sounds to me like, like Yorkshire. And the right. way that they speak is a total clash between uh, the black country and, for me, northern. So... Really writ large into our mapping our ear on on accents, with the exception of received pronunciation, which is which is different, is the uh, the Viking Anglo-Saxon settlement of England, and I love that. Yeah, I man, I love that too. They absolutely agree with you that it's that feeling that there is a historical connection to all of this. That there are things that have happened to create. Scouse, for example, to to do with the the uh, connections over the Irish Sea with uh, with Ireland, you know, it's a fa- it's a, almost like um, a map of our history, and I love that. I totally agree. I think it's a fantastic thing to celebrate. There are some negatives. I'm, I'm going to advance some negatives, Roy, oh. since we're furiously. We're loving it. Uh, there was a survey I dug out about the connection. It was Manchester, actually. Mm-hmm. So they did a survey where they took various different accents from around the Greater Manchester area and they got people to put words against them. Mm-hmm. So in the east of Manchester, broadly speaking, you got words like poor, working class, broad, common, rough. In the mm-hmm. south, you got multicultural, well-spoken, good, soft, standard, posh. In the west, you got rough, broad, strong, you know, bloody blah, scally, whatever scally means. Ne'er do well. Nerdy words, all right. So one of the unfortunate things about accents is that it colours you, doesn't it? It it gives you people make assumptions about who you are and what where you come from and what you're like based on your accent. And that's a bad thing. Absolutely. Assumptions on where you come from needn't necessarily be a bad thing yeah. if it's not for class and the fact that England is an over centralized state. I don't know enough about Italian accents, but Italy, for some 1500 years after the break of the, the Roman Empire, was a, a collection 
are duchies, kingdoms, statelets, principalities, etc., etc. And they all develop separately um, their version of bastardized Latin, which became Italian. And though Tuscan became the dominant dialect of the unified Italy, if you speak with a Milanese accent, people don't look down at you. If you speak yeah. a, a Venetian accent, people don't look down on you at all. Right. Whereas in England, invariably, because received pronunciation is our vestige of our ruling class by the Normans, that is seen uniquely as the best way to speak. And it is the the, the, the accent of our ruling class political and cultural elite. And, and, and it's because of that and the over-centralised state of, of England that if I want to make it in media, I've got to go to London. If I want to make it in politics, I've got to go to London. If I want to make it in, in software, I've got to go to London. As examples that all of these other accents are seen to a larger or lesser degree as being provincial. If you want to make it in hosiery though, Royal Field, you've got to go to Leicester, all right? Or crisps. Or crisps. Yeah. You want to- <laughs> <laughs> you have any if you have any ambitions in the world of hosiery you know just 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 let me know good point i mean absolutely i agree with you so on this survey that we talked about earlier where brummy came oh 12 out of 12 received pronunciation was second so if you have well my kind of accent it's it's an advantage in life so my mother for example comes from yorkshire she had a yorkshire accent and she got rid of it you know she consciously got rid of it when she came south because it was a disadvantage to her so i'd say that's that is still a negative thing i think it's still stronger than we might we might think of uh, we might think it i i think so too but you know i think the history of received pronunciation in and of itself is in, is incredibly interesting so we we associate it with poshness we do it's that yeah. bbc newsreader isn't it you know intoning the news and you go okay th- this is important th- this is serious well then that's not Edwards, of course, you know he's uh, he keeps it safe. Well, you know it's it's actually really interesting. I know Susan Ray, who's right. a BBC Radio Four newsreader, a really good friend of mine. And when she delivers the news, I don't hear a Scottish accent. She very clearly has one, right? But it's it's Scottish received pronunciation, right? You know, it's with authority. And I don't know enough about Hugh Edwards. I haven't really thought about it but i'm kind of guessing it probably would be the same it's almost like a welsh version of the same thing uh, but you know i could be wildly yeah, wrong but I, have, I have no idea but at least he has something of an accent no no he, he, he does have an accent there's no there's no two ways about it and susan has an accent there's no two ways about it but she still sounds posh yeah to my to my ears, he still sounds posh so there's an the element of received pronunciation I'm going to push back a little Go on. bit. Go on. I'm with you. I'm with you fundamentally with this. But I think we could have made a whole show really around received pronunciation. Right. And because that underlines a very important aspect of English culture, which is the class system. Right. And what I was getting to, getting around to say before, but you cut me off, you cut my legs from underneath me, was to say that 200 years ago... Oh, sorry about that. If I was um, a lord and uh, some, some member of the aristocracy, and you heard me speak, yep. and I was from Yorkshire, I would have spoke with a Yorkshire accent. It's, uh, it's only really uh, in the Victorian period where uh, the sons 
um, of the aristocracy started to go off to Oxford and Cambridge, that this received pronunciation kind of comes into being. This way that the establishment speaks, which then gets underwritten, underlined by the BBC in the in the nineteen twenties. And then one last thing I'll say about this, about the importance of received pronunciation. Many anecdotal stories um, in the First World War with officers meeting their troops for the first time. And uh, up up until that point, you know, the British Army has, uh, you know, the the second Birmingham Battalion or the the Lancashire Dragoons. And so you had lots of people with regional accents and their commanding officers couldn't understand them. Mm -hmm. This is one of the key reasons why Lord Reith says we need a set way of speaking because bits of the country couldn't communicate with each other. It's fascinating, that, isn't it? It's very late, isn't it? I mean, it's, it seems incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We're going on that, you know, so late. I mean, I can argue, I think it's very interesting. All I can suggest is that you put that forward, that received pronunciation should itself go I'm, into the cabinet. I'm going to put it there, and I'm going to, like, you know, barrack it, throw <laughs> rotten vegetables at it, and all yeah, sorts. For, angle. But it, it should be there. I won't like it should it be there. That's there, interesting. We can have nasty things in there as well. Gosh, that opens a whole new can of worms. Mm. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to argue for it going to the cabinet. I suppose we're arguing that it's significant. Accents, I think, help foster a pride of place and where you come from. You know, you can mm-hmm. recognise other people. You know, they don't have to look for a bag of Walker's crisps in order to know they come from Leicester. You can tell. Mm-hmm. I think it fosters pride in that and I think that's a good thing in England which as you say is very centralised and anything which helps with uh, you know love of regions I think is great it mm-hmm. gives something for tourists to laugh at I like the fact that we now celebrate accents much more than we used to do than rather than being embarrassed by them and you know it used to be pure embarrassment as we've discussed now at least it's much more accepted I still think it's a problem but you know so for those reasons um, I think it should go in a cabinet mm, probably I, 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 thing, isn't it? I mean hated or loathe it for the negatives or the positive reasons, accents is one of the things you notice about England, isn't it? It is. It is. Uh, there's, there are loads of um, kind of quotes around this, but the fact that as soon as somebody opens their mouth, you kind of have a good idea of physically where they've come from in England. and But not only that, but their social class uh, denotes how important uh, what signifier accents actually are. You know, I assume that is the same the world over. It would be nice to know more about that, I must admit. Well, in America, which is where I am now, mm. it's less so important. that There isn't the American example of received pronunciation in the way that there is in England. No. You know, all middle class Americans. Yeah, there, there, is, there is regional, but the regional is much broader. So, yes, there is a southern. Yes, there is a midwestern accent. Yes, there is a northeastern accent. There's a New York accent. But geograph- the geographic span of these accents is so much wider. And actually, the differences between them are actually much narrower. Mm. Obviously, uh, the, the extremes, so let's say northeast, like Boston and uh, southern, Yes, you know, there's there's a massive difference. But Californian and, let's say, mountain states, I can't tell the difference. And most Americans can't, can't tell the difference, though linguistic experts will tell you there is a difference. Right. But it's so, so minor. It's so subtle. Right. You know. OK, so in conclusion, do we put it in? Let, let's put it in and let's uh, have the listeners decide. Let's have the listeners decide. Before we wrap up, there was a brilliant debate on the Facebook site. Loads and loads of comments. Really good. And Luke has very kindly agreed to follow Fiona and do a quick wrap up of all of that chat. So here we are. 
Over to you, Luke. Hello and welcome to our second Facebook roundup, following the most excellent Scar episode from Royfield and David. It would seem that Scar music has formed the backdrop to many a misspent youth amongst our listeners, like Alice and Mary. During the show, David had put forward three possible objections to Scar going in the cabinet, which Royfield expertly batted away. David wondered whether it was just a boy thing, that maybe it was nothing more than frivolous fun, and that it was local to the UK only. Judging by the comments of our listeners, it would appear that none of these objections stand. We've certainly had a lot of women commenting about what Scar meant for them. Diane's neighbour was even Terry Hall's uncle. Philip made the case that Scar music from the early 80s with multiracial bands like The Specials, The Selector, The Beat, UB40, was the embodiment of multicultural England, a uniting force for the youth of England against the pernicious influence of the National Front at a vital time in their and the country's development. And we have a lot of listeners from the other side of the Atlantic, which seems to indicate that Scar was not just a local thing. It reached Steve in the wilds of Nova Scotia. Well, actually, it was in the suburbs of Nova Scotia, where the choice of music was limited. But a show called The New Music introduced him to the joys of Scar. We've had a lot of new members joining the Facebook group from near and far. You can find Callum wandering the streets of York, dressed as a 10th century monk, and occasionally carrying the Duke of York's head on a pike. We've also been joined by Jacob from Cleveland, Ohio, not Yorkshire this time. Jacob wants David and Royfield to cover the venerable melon farming bead. That wasn't exactly the term he used, but we hope that this is a family show. And hardly had he suggested it than David added bead to the list of topics, along with the bloody bard, as he calls Shakespeare. Speaking of suggestions for future episodes, Rowena is proving to be a hard taskmistress and has already suggested that David and Royfield need to either do more episodes or longer episodes to cover all the topics that have been suggested. And she's got a point. New suggestions have included Crumpets and their evil alter ego, the Digestive, from Steeple Bell. As a proud American, Tom suggested that losing the 13 colonies in North America was a thing that made England. Meanwhile, in the MacDonald household, they have been discussing whether there has been a 200-year dialogue of influences that has been a key part in the makeup of what England is today. Mandy from Missouri put forward Wimbledon as being very British. Bill and Debbie wondered to what extent the list we are building represents English or British things. It will be interesting to see how Royfield and David navigate the British-English question. And there was a particularly fine collection of things to add from JW, including... Tea, Carnaby Street, Cricket, Real Ale, George Orwell, The Kinks, The Avengers, Treeball Mints, Julian Cope, Alfred Hitchcock, The 70s, 80s Mod Revival and The Labour Party. Please do come and have a visit of the Facebook page and see for yourselves what is already on the list of topics to be covered. The popular vote has resoundingly gone in favour of Scar joining 1066 in the cabinet of things that made England. At the time of recording this, the voting reads 33 votes in favour of Scar going into the cabinet, 6 can't decides, 5 nopes, and 3 who chose the option, what is Scar? Again, 
please do visit the Things That Made England Facebook page as you'll find some great recommendations from members of Scar Tunes that will fill that gaping hole. This episode really did feel timely given the horrendous Windrush scandal that is going on over here where we are chucking out the very people that brought Scar to these shores. David and Royfield recorded this episode long before the scandal broke into the news in a big way. It is good to know that the members of this group definitely feel that Scar and what it represents is a thing that made England. Excellent. Thank you, Luke. And then next time, uh, Royfield, it'll be for you to the proposition, I think. And it's going to be Dunkirk. Very good. Wicked. And these are the things that made England. England. And St. George! These are the things that made England. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.